Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Just a warning before we begin. Today's podcast includes some unpleasant and offensive language. Last week, a small mob filmed themselves shouting abuse at the Labour leader, Sir Keir Starmer. Most coverage focused on the abuse itself. But who exactly were the abusers? Where did they come from? And what do they want? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today... The US-style conspiracy theorists now at work in Britain. So my name is Ben Ellery and I am a news reporter at The Times. Over the course of uh, the pandemic, one of the things that I've become fascinated by is the world of conspiracy theories, particularly the the anti-vax movement. Ben, where are you talking to me from? I'm at home, although uh, I'm slightly hesitant maybe to go into a bit more detail than that uh, for reasons that might become a bit more clearer later. Let's go back to last Monday. Can you just briefly explain to us what happened then? Sir Keir Starmer, the Labour leader, and David Lammy, Labour MP and the the Shadow Foreign Secretary, were walking by uh, Embankment in London when they were suddenly ambushed by a group of protesters, mainly men. They were shouting abuse at them. The scenes were extremely intimidating. Um, The men were filming the encounter and they were sort of thrusting these cameras into their faces, shouting comments at them. Pedo protector was, was one of them. And a police escort surrounded the politicians uh, to keep these men at bay. And this is obviously, given the background in, in the UK we've had with politicians recently and sad deaths of Joe Cox and uh, David Amos, this was a very frightening scene. It must have been pretty extreme for the police to need to bundle the leader of the opposition into the car and actually took him by his arm and led him to the car as if to say... This is too dangerous for you, matey. We're getting you out of here. Now, before we come on to the people specifically, because one of the things that's interesting about this is 
when you saw this on the television, you knew who some of them actually were. You knew their names. Now, what are the views of these people if we can try and create a pattern around them? There's lots of different views. Fundamentally, their their view is this anti-vax and also anti-lockdown, anti-mask view. That kind of spirals off into all different types of conspiracies. Broadly, they all uh, kind of coalesce around those main points. Now, one of them you'd have recognised, of course, is Piers Corbyn, the older brother of the former Labour leader, Jeremy Corbyn, who's out there with his megaphone because he's never not out there with his megaphone. That's right. He was actually filmed beforehand addressing the crowd and leading chants of resist, uh, defy, do not comply. Resist, defy, do not comply. Resist, defy. He's uh, been a huge figure in all this and solicits donations for people to pay fines that he's received. He's, he's broken, you know, lockdown rules on several occasions and asks for people to, to pay them for him. Let's talk about some of the other people that you've been following and a couple of people who are very prominent, I gather, in the scrum around Sakir Starmer and actually in quite a lot else. One of the chief instigators is a man called William Coleshill, and he's a very interesting character because up until recently, I think it was about 2018, he was a Conservative councillor in Enfield. In North London. In North London. What happened to him on the council was he was actually removed after making some uh, racist remarks. While he was a councillor, he was photographed with Boris Johnson. He also made campaign videos where he would talk about the need for more police on the streets. Fast forward a couple of years, and he is now one of the biggest figures in the anti-vax movement. He has set up a a YouTube channel, Resistance GB, which has uh, 73,000 subscribers. One of the big things is also harassing politicians, but also journalists. There's this belief that the the mainstream media are hiding the um, the, the true figures on uh, on coronavirus. What else do we know about Coles Hill? I've seen a picture. He's pretty young still, isn't he? I think he's in his twenties. He's set up the, this news platform, and he was shouting at Starmer, "Why aren't you standing up for our constitution?" Why aren't you standing up for labour for the working class man? What about the working class? Is this a labour party? Which is maybe a slightly unusual comment to make, given that he was a a conservative councillor. Do you have any idea what job he does, or whether he has a job, or whether he just does this? I think that this is his job. I, I'm pretty sure that these people, once they bubble up, they give it a go. And, and if, it, if it works for them, then, then this just takes over. He's extremely successful. He's not someone who's you know, given it a go for a couple of months and decided, oh, I'm going to go and get a proper job or what have you. He's got this huge platform. He's able to, to talk directly to people. And he's doing very well out of it, I, I'm sure, as are lots and lots of, of other people during this pandemic. Is it a way of him boasting to other people about what he's doing and the fact that he's been up in the face of this politician or... 
I suppose he would classify it as a sort of a news channel, like an alternative to the mainstream media, and it will feature interviews. Recently, there was an interview with a soldier and a paratrooper, and there'll be videos that he's made of police chasing protesters or or other sort of incidents with the police. They're, They're sort of quite antagonistic, and they try and provoke these incidents. And then when they react, they'll be streaming it live. And they also feature stories from around the world. So at the moment, something which is quite big on his channel is the Canadian convoy in Ottawa. And, you know, there's big interest with what's going on there. And we are starting to see elements of protesters over here trying to copy the tactics of of those people in Canada. Coles Hill's not the only channel on YouTube like this, is it? No, and what we actually found in the wake of what happened to Sakir was that a video had gone viral in the days before this ambush, which had been made by a man called Alex Belfield. That video was pointed out to me by a group called the Centre for Countering Digital Hate, and it had 150,000 views in the uh, days just before what happened to Starmer. It was footage of Boris Johnson in Parliament, and he had captioned it, Boris blames Keir for letting off evil BBC Savile, clapping hands emoji, a huge Starmer fail. Later in this podcast, we'll come back to that moment at PMQs when the PM attacked the leader of the opposition. But for now, let's go back to Ben's investigation. We then started looking into some of the content that Belfield was producing. And this man monetizes all of his videos on YouTube. He's got hundreds of millions of hits. Hello team, it's the Voice of Reason for a Thursday evening off to Eastwood Hall tonight with my mate Bobby Davro going to be there. He has 373,000 subscribers estimated to earn around a half a million pounds a year from the site. We found that there was a a 5G conspiracy theorist called Mark Steele who um, phoned into one of his shows and described 5G as a, a battlefield weapon. You've done an investigation into how YouTube is making money from these conspiracy theory videos. Take me inside that one a bit, because it seems bizarre, really, that a very wealthy uh, tech company should seek to make dosh from people like this. What we've found is that YouTube is profiting from conspiracy videos around Keir Starmer, around anti-vax messages, around 5G. What they do is they show adverts from organizations that we we found just last week from the charity Amnesty, from Disney, from HelloFresh. These advertisers are unaware that their adverts are being shown on this kind of content, but it's YouTube or or Google, who's the ultimate owner, uh, as algorithm is pushing these companies' adverts when people click on these videos. We found videos that have been there for over a year, you know, with over a million hits. It's not as if they're kind of going under the radar. You know, once upon a time, in order to appear on a screen, you would have to be commissioned by somebody and there would be a lot of stages before you could. But with the advent of things like YouTube, people like Belfield are able to bypass that and they have found audiences who share these views and are willing to pay money to hear them. Alex Belfield, for instance, also sells mugs and hoodies on his website. Interestingly, Belfield was a presenter on Radio 2, 
and he left the BBC. Subsequently, he is charged with stalking his former colleagues, who include Jeremy Vine and seven other colleagues. Belfield denies these charges, but is due to appear in court this July. In the meantime, he's, he's set up this, this YouTube channel. We've already sold 400 tickets for our Katie Hopkins and Alex Belfield. Two gobshites live. We only mentioned it last night. He tours the country with Katie Hopkins, sort of, uh, you know, provocateur. Here's part of a video clip Belfield posted on Twitter on Saturday from a live show in Southampton. They want me gone and they said they're going to write to neutral. Then a dopey man called Bain from the Times said he was going to wipe me out and expose me. Please do, it's great publicity. You can hear Belfield apparently gleefully discussing Ben and the supposed promotion his reporting has given him. And then we had two letters yesterday from YouTube on the back of these two things, which were very, very coincidental, that said you've been a naughty boy, cyberbullying, cyberbullying for talking about Carol Vordenock's huge tits and arse. I don't think so. He makes videos featuring misogynistic content. He seems obsessed for some reason with BBC personalities. So Naga Manchetti, I've found that he made at least 27 videos about... Naga Manchetti. 27? Yeah. Um, not quite sure what it what is about her that he um, found so abominable. Also, Carol Vorderman has made a series of videos talking about her body parts. Once we flag these up to, to YouTube, they've suspended his account, I think for two weeks, and they've taken down a load of his videos. So he is subsequently now talking about migrating to a um, sort of an alternative video platform. Let's move off onto another person that you've been following, who, if you're very unlucky, you might hear even more about. Who is this guy? This is um, a man called Michael Manuel Chaves, and he has set himself up as a conspiracy theorist during the pandemic. Hello, good day, and welcome. My name is Michael Manuel Chaves. This is Mad Mix Conspiracies. So uh, you've all seen the ITV article of the superheroes injecting children. He uses a platform called Telegram, which is an encrypted messaging app where a lot of these people uh, share messages and they have their own channels. You log on to the channel and you can see their updates. And what actually ended up happening after the Keir Starmer protest was he wasn't involved in the protest, but he went along afterwards because there was a woman who was arrested for throwing a cone at a police officer. He was friends with her. And he went along to uh, pick her up from the Charing Cross police station. But this wasn't the first time Ben came across Michael Manuel Chaves. Last October... Michael was one of those who targeted Jeremy Vine with what he called a, a COVID writ, so-called legal papers, which they uh, have printed off the internet. And they go around to people's houses with the intention of serving a writ, which basically informs them that they are implicit in genocide. They call this COVID a sort of genocide or the vaccinations a genocide. And with Jeremy Vine, they filmed the whole encounter. We've got a few people down here. You see, we've got one or two of us in the resistance turned up. First of all, we're just going to try. We're going to knock on his door. 
we're going to try and hand over the notice. If he just takes the notice, then we're going to leave. I think his wife answered and accepted the papers. And what Michael, uh, he was on camera saying, was that if they, they I think they had about 20 people with them, if they, if they don't accept the papers, we're going to yellow board his street. If he doesn't open the door, what we're going to do is we're going to bring all the boards down, we've got all our yellow boards, and we're going to take the whole street with yellow boards. And that would involve holding up these yellow signs with a sort of protest anti-vax messages, taking over the whole street until the police came, and then using the police to deliver the papers to Jeremy Vine's address. If he just takes the notice, then we're going to leave. It's all going to go off with that incident. Absolutely perfect. This became a, a, a big video. You know, it's extremely intimidating. That It's all about, it's supposed to um, intimidate people. So after Chaves made this film outside the BBC Radio 2 presenter Jeremy Vine's house, Ben and a colleague here at The Times wrote a story about it. It revealed the self-proclaimed anti-vaxxer Chaves was a former paramedic who was sacked after a patient accused him of stealing £800. Although he was found not guilty by a jury, he did lose an employment tribunal. The next day, Michael made a video about me. About you? Yeah, about me, in which he claimed that he had got hold of my address. Ben Ellery, the reporter, who did that article about me yesterday. Now, as you can imagine, Ben, you've just made it onto our list of people that are going to get served, and I'll explain why you're going to get served our notice of liability. And that they were going to come round and serve me with these papers when he posted this there were all these comments underneath like people saying you know i'd love to you know i'd love to punch him in the face and all this kind of stuff punch you in the face punch me in the face yes that's right because i had you know written this article revealing that he had been you know sacked for stealing money from a sick patient how do you feel about that i i was you know i, I mean it, it's it's fine kind of comes with the turf i was slightly concerned obviously i've got family you know i've had occasions where people have found my social media profile and taken screen grabs of my children and sent those to me and said you know things about my children it's not great obviously but you don't know that some of the people with him or around him might not be prepared to take it a lot further I did speak to staff at work who, first of all, did a check to make sure that, you know, my address wasn't available online. And I'm always very careful about that kind of stuff. I am very alive to, to things like that. And even when, you know, we revealed that as a paramedic, he'd been sacked for stealing money from a patient. He said, there's no such thing as bad publicity, uh, which was slightly ironic as later on that day, he made a video. The landlord has seen the, the newspaper today. And I've got until the end of the day to get this caravan behind me out of here. So I'll be packing up my caravan and I'll be moving it. Revealing that on the back of the press coverage, his landowner, so his caravan was situated on his farm, has decided to kick him off his land because, you know, he didn't want to be associated with, with someone who was doing what Mr Chase was up to. Let's go back to the question of the group overall. If we want to take these sort of anti-vaxxers, GB resistance, all the all these people, how long have they been around for? Are they purely a phenomenon since the pandemic, or were they doing things before? They weren't really around before. There was a, a hardcore element who would kind of take on whatever sort of bandwagon it was, whether it was the, the MMR vaccine or, or what have you. That's always existed. But I think what's been 
unusual about this, and maybe maybe unsurprising because it's a worldwide pandemic, is just how many people are, are buying into this. They can now become sort of mini celebrities. They make a video and they've got people piling in and, and giving them praise. And it's, uh, it's addictive. It's like a reward. Do you think, and we'll come on to the bigger implications a bit later, but do you think we should take these men seriously? I think we should take these men seriously. I mean, it, it's uh, it's difficult to, to say this is definitely going to, to lead to something happening. However, we have seen and they are willing to target MPs. And obviously there's a lot of sensitivity around that because of what we've seen before with, with Joe Cox and, and David Amos. And we've seen in the US with the Capitol Hill protest. I don't think anyone before then could have envisioned what was going to happen. I do think that we need to bear that in mind. Coming up, Ben and I look at the consequences of those words uttered in the House of Commons and whether, if this carries on, we could be heading for a January the 6th US style. But first, a note from my colleague. I'm Megan Agnew. I'm a commissioning editor and writer at the Sunday Times magazine. I organise and write interviews with politicians, stroppy heartthrob actors who absolutely don't want to be there, authors, artists and features on a whole range of issues. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. One of the very specific things that the group shouted at Keir Starmer was something that has come into a lot of modern conspiracy theories, but didn't exist before. And that's the idea that the so-called elite are protecting paedophiles. This seems to have become a theme. It's not clear what that would have to do, for example, with anti-vax. And yet there it is. Yes, well, one of the uh, things that was being shouted at Keir Starmer was a pedo protector. No! 
And that was a reference to uh, what happened with Jimmy Savile and the failure by the CPS to, to prosecute him. Absolutely nothing. Instead, Mr Speaker, this, this leader of the opposition, a former director of public prosecutions, Mr Speaker, he spent most of his time prosecuting journalists and failing to prosecute Jimmy Savile, as far as I can make out, Mr Speaker. The accusation that Boris Johnson made in Parliament amounted to saying that while he was director of public prosecutions, he'd been the, the organisation been active in prosecuting journalists, but not Jimmy Savile. And the clear suggestion in it was, seemed to me to be, at any rate, that Keir Starmer bore some responsibility for decisions not to prosecute Jimmy Savile. Can we be clear about this? Did he bear any responsibility for the CPS not prosecuting Jimmy Savile? Well, Keir Starmer was not involved in the decision. It was reviewed by um, people within uh, the CPS, and the decision was made that there wasn't enough evidence. Subsequently, we know now what we know about Jimmy Savile, and what happened was was Keir Starmer did issue uh, a public apology. And what Boris Johnson had to do was he wouldn't retract his claim in Parliament, but he did seek to to clarify and say that it wasn't Keir Starmer's personally that he was talking about. But basically, I think he was sort of alluding to, well, the buck stops with with the leader of the organisation. But this is interesting because after Johnson made those claims, this ambush happens, he's called Peter Protector, and actually Starmer came out and said that he had never before been called Peter Protector in public until after Boris Johnson's comments. We are seeing these real-world consequences, and I note that the Metropolitan Police are now investigating because there's been death threats to Keir Starmer. One of the reasons for being very interested in this, and I take a very a significant interest in this too, is that we've had several kind of little waves in which accusations of paedophilia have begun to infiltrate the conspiracist movements, including the far right. And one of the big ones was when there was a big fury about possible VIP child abuse and so on, and it became very widespread on certain kind of channels, early internet channels, to make these sorts of accusations. I'm wondering whether it's your feeling that this accusation was picked up somehow by people around Boris Johnson having originated on the far right and conspiracist sets, or whether the conspiracists picked it up from Boris Johnson? I would like to give Boris Johnson the the benefit of the doubt. I hope that the people around him advising him are not picking up on on things, these right-wing conspiracy theories. What is evident is that this sort of trope about Keir Starmer has been floating around for a while, and we have seen sort of spikes in it becoming popular online. Certainly after... Johnson made his comments, there was a huge spike of it. And like uh, the video I mentioned earlier had 150,000 views within you know a day or so. That was the video published by Alex Belfield, the former Radio 2 presenter. It has since been taken down by YouTube following Ben's reporting. On balance, we need to be fair on on Boris Johnson, but I don't think it's helping his cause to be amplifying these these messages. So that's your kind of view, is essentially, one way or another, he amplified 
an accusation which was already out there and made it, if not mainstream, at least bigger. Yeah, absolutely. But what I'm interested in is this. He couldn't have picked something which would which would have gone more directly to the heart of the new conspiracy movement. I don't think he did it on purpose, but nevertheless, he couldn't have picked something that would go more directly to, to the kind of arguments that they've been making. Yeah, I mean, you know, you might say that, oh, Boris was on the ropes, and, um, you know, when you're on the ropes, you reach for, you know, the most uh, damaging um, weapon you've got at your disposal, and that was what he he sort of chucked out. But, you know, all these claims afterwards that it was the cut and thrust of of Parliament and whatever, yeah, I don't think that there's a, a lot of sympathy for, for, for that. In my experience, looking at conspiracy theories in the past, they didn't really lead anybody to do anything. In other words, they'd have big conferences, academics again for 9-11 truth or people having big articles about the killing of JFK or Oliver Stone would make a movie about it and everybody would say they believe it. Nothing actually happened as a result of it. It wasn't linked to any action. Now, what you seem to be describing are conspiracy theorists who actually take it to the street. Once upon a time, you might have a conspiracy theorist, but you know nobody was going to hear from them because they were at home in their room. Whereas now, you can suddenly uh, have this huge audience, and other people will happily jump on the bandwagon, and you will benefit from it. It's something that, to a certain extent, is understandable. The, the pandemic was was scary, and, and it affected us all, and people felt like a, a loss of control over their lives. And in lots of ways, you know, we, it's true. I think that these people, for them, it's a way of of trying to gain control and feel like uh, they can rise up or, or turn the, turn the screw against those people who are trying to, you know, ensure lockdown or, or what have you. Because you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong. If you hear no counter voices to some of the garbage conspiracy theories you hear, uh, you begin to believe them. This is exactly what was feared, but in no way is this a surprise. It has been fueled by the president's rhetoric and it's increasingly clear. One very real life event inspired by multiple conspiracy theories was the storming of the US Capitol last January. I wondered if Ben felt that although the Starmer incident was much, much smaller, there were connections between them. There is certainly a lot of similarities that I have noticed. And, for example, the protesters who were targeting Capitol Hill, they used Telegram, this encrypted uh, messaging app, which is huge among the the British anti-vaccine. There's a, a movement currently in the UK to replicate the tactics of the Ottawa convoy. And they've been using another app called Zello, which is a walkie-talkie app that allows people to to talk kind of uh, back and forth very quickly. And that is exactly the same app which um, protesters used at the uh, the Capitol Hill protest. A lot of what happened on Capitol Hill was fueled by QAnon and this conspiracy. And that originated around this kind of belief in a a cabal of of high-powered paedophiles who were being protected. One of the things that strikes me about this um, is that it's like the capital insurrection, but with two differences. One is 
there's no big party buy-in to it. In other words, you haven't got a section of a political party which will support it. And secondly, it's just much smaller in Britain. Is that also your understanding, or am I being complacent? I think that the the more extreme end of this movement is much smaller. But I do think that there is this um, much larger aspect to it which is okay there's anti-vax people but there's also people who are not anti-vax but they are vaccine hesitant and i think you know a lot of us could probably have a lot more sympathy with, with those people the the danger is is it's difficult to know whether or not those people will, will tip over and, and can they be be captured by this more extreme side and, and i think that probably a fair few of them can. And your point about politicians, yes, in America, uh, a lot of politicians were sort of tacitly supporting QAnon, whereas I don't think there's been any sort of uh, explicit politicians over here who have um, expressed publicly sort of anti-vaccine or conspiracy theory views. But there are certainly, you know, many who, who've come out against things like lockdowns and, and, and stuff like that. It's, it's just difficult because I don't think in America you would have thought that what happened in Capitol Hill would, would have happened. And so it's difficult to, to say, like right now we could be saying, well, I don't think that would happen in the UK. However, you just never know. You just never know. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times with me, David Aronovich, and my guest, Ben Ellery, a news reporter at The Times. You can read more of Ben's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producer was Will Rowe. The executive producer is Kate Ford. And sound design was by David Crackles. If you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, or thoughts on what you've just heard, send us an email to storiesofourtimes@thetimes.co.uk. Don't you think we don't read those emails? We really do. See you again soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.